So are we all in? Everybody's ready? All right. Well, let's you may begin. All right. Well, let's get started in prayer. Sorry. Brother Fred, will you pray us in this evening, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this young man that's leading us. He's such a good teacher, too. He's a good singer. I don't think there's anything he can't do. So, Lord, we thank you for him being a church member and doing what he does. And we just ask now, Lord, if you help us to pay attention and to learn tonight what he's got for us. Use us even this week, Lord. We are so thankful that you love us that much that you let us come and learn from your precious word because without your precious word, where would we be? And we ask now, Lord, you have your will and your way here this evening. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you open your Bibles up to Galatians 6, and we're going to get started in verses uh, 22, and we'll go through 26. Um, I'd like to, I think, probably just start out reading those. So um, if somebody would like to read um, those verses for us. Galatians 6, or excuse me, 5, verse 22 through 26. You need to speak up. Galatians 5. Verses 22 to 26. Sorry, I don't. I, I feel uncomfortable if I'm yelling at you. So, you just need okay. To put your chin up. Put my chin up. All right. All right. So, if somebody would like to read that for us, just go ahead when you're ready. Whoever would like to read it. Anyone? No. The 22nd. Yeah, the verse 22 through 26, please. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, but provoking one another and one another. Amen. Thank you. So I've got a lot of cross-reference scriptures to go over tonight, so I hope you guys are ready for that, and I'm hoping we can get through verses 22 and 23 as far as the list of, um, you know, what the fruit of the Spirit is here. And we'll see how that goes. So the first thing I thought would be best to talk about would be what are the conditions for fruit bearing? You know, so like if you plant a tree, what does it take to bring forth fruit? You guys have any thoughts on that, what the Bible says about it? Good soil. Good soil, Water. yeah. Yeah, so you need, need the soil. Air, light, so you need wind to blow through. I've heard stories of people planting orchards, um, and then leaving them, not tending to them, and all the weeds growing up around the seedlings and choking out all the trees that they planted. Um, and you also need to fertilize and tend to things and water, of course, and good soil. So the parable of the sower there. Um, contact with living water when it comes to what we're talking about here as far as fruit bearing with uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So Psalm 1 verse 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So living water. We need to be near the Word of God. 
spiritual receptivity. So we need to be able to receive the seed into us, right? So let's take a look at Matthew verse uh, or Matthew 13 verse 23. If somebody's got that and like to read it. Matthew 13, verse 23. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfair. Fruitful. Oh, excuse me. I got to go a little further there. Okay. You said 23? Yes, ma'am. 23. But the, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Yep. Sorry about that. That's okay. So in the King James Version, it says... Um, uh, which also beareth fruit instead of crop. So a little different term, but same idea, right? Crop, mm-hmm. fruit. Um, and also I, I like th- that it points out it's good ground. So there must be bad ground, right? If you have good ground, you have bad ground. So um, so there's that. Death of the old life. So this is another side of things that we need to look at. So John 12, verse 24 John 12, verse 24. And somebody would like to read that for us? Verse 24, please. I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just one grain never becomes more, but lives by itself alone. It, but if it dies, it produces many others and yields a rich harvest. Yeah. So when you plant a seed, in order for it to bring forth good fruit or to grow something, the seed itself has to die. Right? It's an interesting way of looking at things, but the seed has to die in the ground to bring forth new growth. And that's that's what we're talking about here. So death of the old life. <clears throat> Chastening and pruning. So John 15, verse 2. Let's take a look at that. If somebody would like to read that for us. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Yeah. So what do you guys think of that? It's just what we have to do to our plants too. Right. Uh, Purge a little off so that more comes up. Yep. Yeah. So we have a a small apple tree that we planted a number of years ago. It's not doing great. Um, I think it has to do with the plant itself to some extent. However, I'm not great with fruit trees, so I'm learning with that. And um, I didn't want to do anything with it because of the way it was growing, and I just I wanted it to just have as much foliage as it could to try to develop a good root ball. I thought that was a good idea. Then it started to bring forth a little bit of fruit, but they were very small, 
and then they fell off because the plant was weak. So last year I pruned it and we got beautiful apples. We didn't get a lot of them, but they were much larger and good flavor and everything started to produce. So by getting rid of basically the extra growth that wasn't being productive, we got fruit. So God does the same thing with us as well. If we are working in ways or endeavoring in ways that don't bring forth good fruit, he's going to prune that off of us because it's not going to bring glory to him. So With, that's, with these trees, you know, it's talking about producing fruit, but the tree doesn't produce fruit until it matures. Correct. So you think about it, I mean, you have an apple tree, and you know it, it has to get a pretty good size. It, it has to mature a fair amount before it produces fruit. Yep. And if it's comparing that to us, you, know, yep. you can see how, you know, if we're immature, we probably aren't going to be producing. Yeah, your fruit either. will be small in little amounts, right? Mm-hmm. And, and another thing to keep in mind is that if you just plant one apple tree, you're not probably going to get hardly any apples, if any apples at all but you plant a bunch of apple trees, then they will cross-pollinate one another and produce more fruit. And I think of that as like the body of church, right? The body of Christ, where we should be in fellowship with one another, helping to bring forth fruit by being around each other and edifying one another, building each other up. And I think that's an interesting way to look at that as well. Um, So abiding in Christ is my last point here. So John 15, verse 5. If somebody would like to read that for us. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Mm. Yep. So when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we can't produce any of that fruit on our own. That's all him doing that through us. That's his maturity. That's the maturity, exactly. It's exactly correct. I, I agree with that. So any other comments there? Everybody okay? All right. So I've got a note here, um, C.I. Schofield. I've got a C.I. Schofield uh, Bible that is version 1. There's been multiple iterations of it. Um, my wife bought that for me um, this past year, and I, I like going through the notes in there because it's a little over 100 years old, and some of those notes are built upon teachings from hundreds of years prior to that. And one of the things he said about this particular passage that we're looking at is he he breaks up the fruit of the Spirit in the following way. The first three items, love, joy, and peace, are characterized as an inward state. So they're what we have resting in Christ. And then... Um, four through six of the list, which is long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, is our outward expression toward man. And then seven through nine, which is faith, meekness, and temperance, is an expression toward God. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. That's good. Um, and he says that taken together, these present a moral portrait of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of, of all of the characteristics characteristics of Christ that we should have, um, and I thought that was that was pretty good. So, so we'll take a look at love. Um, the word love appears in 281 verses, and it appears 311 times in the King James Bible. It is used in different ways or contexts in the Bible. 
Today we use the word love in different ways. We use it for material things such as I love my car, my boat, I love certain kinds of food, movies, songs, phone, computer, house, I just kind of all the material things that we would normally refer to it, with it. Um, as a form of gratitude is another way that we use it for referencing people or things that bring us excitement, pleasure, or provide a favor. Like you may love somebody because they can help you with something, right, or get something done. We say we love a warm room in the winter. We love cool shade in the summer. A Christian loves their Bible. We love our parents and our children on account of their connection with us and their qualities which please us. In short, we love whatever gives us pleasure and delight. Is this biblical love? No, I don't think it is. Now, so the world, uh, the world says um, with regard to the love that I will love you so long as you can love me back, or I will love you so long as you do different things for me, or I will love you as long as uh, I can expect something in return. That's man love, right? But this is not the type of love that Paul is speaking about in the fruit of the Spirit. The type of love that Paul is talking about is not natural. It is supernatural. And it can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce it ourselves. If our hearts are right, we love God above all things. The love of God is the first duty of man. Let's take a look at Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. If somebody would like to read that for us. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Yeah. So the first great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Notice it's three parts. Your heart, your soul, and your mind. I thought that was pretty interesting. Both of these great commandments contain the word love. If I am loving God with all of my being, then through the Spirit I will be able to love my neighbor as myself, as I'm commanded. This is the biblical order of these two great commandments. Our world today has elevated the second over the first. This causes great confusion and lots of problems. The world today has elevated the second great commandment over the first. Love your neighbor, not love God. So it's out of order. So as an example, let's say your neighbor is living an adulterous lifestyle. By loving God first and your neighbor second, you will pray for God to show you how to speak to them about what God says about their lifestyle because of your love of God and out of benevolence toward the interest of his kingdom. If you elevate your love for your neighbor over your love for God, then you won't pray for God to show you 
how to speak to them about their lifestyle because you don't love God more than them, and so you will not show benevolence toward the interest of his kingdom. The world will say, this is loving your neighbor, but God says, this is hardening your heart. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you'll probably go in and mess it up without asking God how to do it. Yeah. Getting mad at you. It's well, hard, it's, it's hard not to be so incensed, angry, frustrated, and all of those about the state of things in this world. Yes, ma'am. For sure. We forget that that anger should be directed against satanic influences and not against that person that's overcome by it. Right. Yeah, because in God's eyes, we're all sinners. Yeah, but they're being overcome by it. They are. And you're not going to win them to Christ by taking out your frustrations about Satan on them. Right, <laughs> right. But it also, it's it's kind of a double-edged situation because if you if you don't have the order correct, then society, the evil of society gets to grow because it's not being pushed back against in truth and in true light. It's just, it's like in my life I've seen where Christians haven't stood up for the things that they should stand up for. And that allows evil to grow. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. Basically, if something moves out in nature, something else is going to fill it. So there was a time when in our country, Christians stood up for the right things and expressed it in a, in a biblical way. And things, basically the line was held with regards to a lot of evil. It wasn't allowed to cross over into many things. Christians pulled away from that line and evil was allowed to move in. And that's the way that works. And it's a natural, it's a natural thing. Um, if we go back in the verses that we spoke about last week, that's what Paul was warning of. They basically had left their first love, if you will, and moved into becoming carnal Christians. So it's something we all have to watch out for. Um, and in our society today, I think that the church is not as strong as it should be. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think a lot of it is it has to do with whether or not people actually believe the word of God. I think that's a big thing. People question it and kind of parse it and pull it apart. And it doesn't have much power when you do that. When you believe it and um, hold to it, then it has an, an actual bearing and a foundation for you to live your life with. But if you don't have that, it's just other words in a book somewhere. And I think that most of society looks at things that way. We want to give in to not hurt somebody. But true love, agape love, does not tolerate giving in to the evil. Right. Agape love doesn't. And our human uh, bastardization of that is to say, well, we're just letting go. But that's not, that's no. not I hear it, real I, love. I hear it out of... You know, my family, what are you going to do? I hear that statement, what are you going to do? And they put their head down and go back to what they're doing. Right. They're standing there looking at evil. Right. What am I, what are you going to do? And they just 
you know, I've heard that most of my life. Caving and, in is not real love. I mean, Jesus demonstrated that. Yeah. It's, he looked very harsh yeah. at people, but he was harsh with them because true love dictated that he be true. Right. If you believe what is true to be true, yeah. then you're basically, that's your call, is to stand in that situation. We are all called to be soldiers in this battle. And today's Christianity doesn't teach that at all. If you look at most of the churches anymore, they don't, they won't even use, that's like, it's taboo to use that type of language in most churches. But the Bible uses that, you know, and um, if you look at what Jesus did, he, he was a soldier. He went in, he flipped over the tables, he called out people, you brood of vipers, he pulled out the whip, he ran, you know, I mean, when it called for it, he stood when it was necessary. And that's an example for us. Um, you know, but we live in a time when it's difficult uh, because of the overwhelming situation that we find ourselves in these days. So, um, so love can be tough at times. Sometimes it means telling someone something they don't want to hear. This can be uncomfortable. And in today's world, it, it can offend people when they are told the truth. It may take some work to nurture and rekindle your love for the Lord. Does this sound silly? Yeah. At first it did to me, but then I got to thinking about it. And um, I've, been, I've been married a little over two decades at this point, And it does take some rekindling on occasion. And that's a normal thing that that reconnection that needs to happen. And I think that it's very much the same with us and God. So if you're honest, and I think, then I think you would admit that there are days when you have to work at it. And I think that that's true with our relationship with God. You know, as we look at the world and we see how crazy things are and the chaos, and we just, it just seems impossible. But yet God says, it's not. With me, we can do everything, everything that needs to be done. So if we hold fast to God then we, we actually come out on the other side as we should. We bring glory to him, and we get the rewards that were promised, as the Bible says. If we shrink from that, then we lose those. So it's all, it's all accounted one way or another to us. Um, as I told somebody recently, nobody's getting away with anything around here. Nobody's getting away with anything. I mean, we look around and we see a lot of good, we see a lot of evil, we, we think, how, how are they getting away with that? God has got it all written down. He knows every single thing. He knows every thought, every little nuance to every single one of us. So nobody's getting away with anything. It's just right now we have to go through this situation because that's what God has put us into. You know, So it's a chastening process, this pruning, if you will, and trying, to, trying to draw people back to him. And I think we find that in today's world pretty pretty good. So Matthew 24, 12. Let's take a look at that if we could. Somebody would like to read that? And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Yep. So the, lo- the love of many shall wax cold, right? So as we said before, it's not a natural 
or it's not natural to love the Lord, it is supernatural. That's an interesting way of looking at it, I think. So how do we nurture or love our love for the Lord? We read our Bible, pray, and fellowship with God on a daily basis. Let's take a look at some Bible verses regarding the love that is represented in the fruit of the Spirit. So, character of God, these verses will back this up. Love is rooted in the character of God and is a part of His very nature. The counterfeit to this is listed in the first four categories in the work of the flesh, which we studied last week, which is adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. So those are the opposite of the love that we're talking about. God is love. He is the perfect embodiment of true love. Let's look at 1 John 4. Verses 7 to 21. And if somebody would read um, 7 through 12, and if somebody would el- else would read 13 through 21. So 1 John 4. 7 to 12, and then 1 John 4, 13 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Yep. And if somebody's got 13 to 21. Same chapter. Yes, ma'am. 1 John 4, 13 to 21. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed that the love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. For this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfect perfected in love we love because he first loved us if some says i love some say i love god and hates his brother he is a liar For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Mm -hmm. Amen. And then Romans 8, 35 through 39. Let's take a look at that. shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted accounted as sheep for the slaughter. How far am I going? 39? Yes, sir. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise. What a promise. You know. It says that even ourselves, we can't separate ourselves. When people do the wrong thing and yeah. fall away, you can't separate yourself. You can separate yourself from eternal life, but you can't separate yourself from his love because it's still there to forgive. Yep. It's it's always out outreaching toward us, right? Saul didn't separate himself from God. No. Not not effectively, you know. No. No, I, and I heard recently somebody said that you cannot lean on God's promises hard enough to break them. Yeah, that's true. And I I just thought, wow, that's that's really really good, you well, know. Love I mean, is not an attribute of God. It's it, it, it's who He is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So you can't say, well, I'm not going to practice that this week. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to practice that towards Gail. But it's not an unconditional love. I've heard people say that. You know, God's love is unconditional. That's no, not true. No. It is It is very much conditional. Obedience is required, and we've got quite a bit of information about what he's asking of us, right? Yeah. Um, but in today's world, I think that people want that to be the case, where they can just do whatever they want, and God's going to love them no matter what. And that's that's a that's that's a heresy, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's not correct. He probably does still love him. He just yeah. Well, he hates sin. Yeah. He, he definitely hates sin. The Bible's very clear on that. So if you're living a life in sin, he really can't he can't have a relationship with you. You have got to come to him in order to have that relationship happen. But that's that. Calls for that's that love. Surrender. Correct. And people yeah. don't like the sound of that. No, and as Americans, I think we're even harder about it, right? I mean, you know, we don't want to surrender to anything. Um, uh, I know I was certainly raised that way. Um, but the freedom is in the surrender. Exactly. And that seems counterintuitive, but it's, it's the truth um, when you think about it and you work God, through it. I think God always loves us. He mm -hmm. just doesn't like what we do sometimes. Okay. Just like... With our kids, we always love our kids. Right. But sometimes we don't like them very much. That's true. That's true. I hate to sin, not the sinner. Yep. That's good. 
So let's take a look at charity and benevolence is another um, attribute of love. So um, in Webster's Dictionary, the definition of charity is, in a general sense, love, benevolence, goodwill, that disposition of heart which inclines men to think favorably of their fellow men, to think and to do them good. In a theological sense, it includes supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. Yeah. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 13. If somebody would like to read that for us. Thirteen, thirteen verses one to thirteen. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains that have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For whether, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I know, am also known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, what version is that? I think this is the new King James. Okay. So the King James, everywhere she said the word love is the word charity. Yeah. It is, it's, uh, and it's, they, I believe, based on my study so far, that one is an inward, one is an outward expression, and I think the outward expression is the word charity um, in, the, in the difference. And I think it's interesting that the King James uses the word charity, and then with the way we use the word charity today um, charitable donations, charitable organizations, things of this nature. But that's not the same as what we're talking about here. If you have the love of God inside of you, and, and that is full as it should be as a fruit of the Spirit, then you will be charitable to others around you because you will know how much God has done for you, and you will want that for them. So you will be willing to help them in a, in a benevolent way. And I think that that's, um, that's a true statement. John 15, 
verses 8 to 14. Let's take a look at that. Wrong direction. Somebody would like to read that for us whenever you're ready. Let's jump on in. John 15, 8. Uh, John 15, verses 8 to 14. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have spoken unto you, have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Yep. So love between Christ and and his members, right? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Okay. Um, the next um, attribute of love that I've got is gratitude. So love expressed out of his love for us. So let's take a look at Ephesians 5, verse 2. Somebody would grab that. And then I've got another verse, John 3.16. Somebody wants to grab that. So Ephesians 5, verse 2. And John 3.16. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Boy, that's a picture of what they did in the Old Testament. And yep. the offerings were a sweet aroma yeah, unto uh, God. Yeah, the um, the King James says, sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Yes, yes. I, I think that's pretty cool. Um, somebody has uh, John 3.16. We'll just say it all together. together. All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever so believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. So when the world looks at us, they should see our love for one another rather than fighting with one another. Love is produced by the Spirit, and it is supernatural. As we yield our flesh to the Holy Spirit, he produces this supernatural expression of love. Let's look at Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. So the outward expression towards others because of the love that we have in us with him. It's a beautiful picture. So the Holy Ghost is the one that produces God's type of love in us, and we cannot produce it at all. So that sums up love as far as my study, and joy is next. Do you guys have any comments on love before we move along? No? Okay. Everybody's good? All right. So the word joy appears in 155 verses and 165 times in the King James Bible. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent on what happens. Joy is not dependent on what happens. This type of joy can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. Paul had joy in prison. Stephen had joy while being stoned to death. And Jesus had joy while looking at a bloody cross. In Hebrews 12, uh, 12 verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. John 16, verse 22 says, And ye know therefore, or excuse me, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Paul wrote quite a bit about joy in his prison epistles. These were written during his imprisonment in Rome, you can take a look at that in Acts 28, 16 to 31 if you wanted to. These are the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. We read of Paul giving encouragement to others during this time, and here are some examples. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. So I've got three verses here. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Anybody want that? For our light, momentarily, momentary affliction, this slight stress of the passing hour is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations of vast <clears throat> and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. Well, they really amplified that one, didn't they? Yeah. Wow. So I but I like it. I mean, it really, I mean, it, it, that's that's good. This is the version for slow learners. I need the next example. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it drives the point. So, and this is regarding joy, bringing a, gra- bringing a good attitude during difficult times, mm-hmm. right? So Romans 8.18 is the next verse I have. Somebody would like to read that. Yes, sir. 8.18. Yes, sir. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yeah. And then James 1, verses 2 to 4. 
What book? James. James. Mm -hmm. James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Ouch. <laughs> and that, that's James 1, verses 2 to 4? Oh, 4, excuse me. Yep. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yep. Yep, that all goes together, right? So joy brings content with God's provision. Let's look at um, Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. I've got it if you guys want me to read it. I can do that. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Mm. Yeah. God didn't just give it to him, though. He said he had learned. He, right. He had to... He, he it's a process. He stages in a process of course. to become content. Yeah. He's old and he's in jail. He's not exactly comfortable. <laughs> no, but mm -hmm. over the years, he's he's basically learned how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, he's and by resting there. in... in and the elements that we see here in the, in the faith that we're looking at are um, the faith in the Spirit, basically, we see that we can rest in these things, even in hard times. And um, that's, that's a really important thing. So joy brings honor and glory to God in the face of adversity. Let's take a look at Acts 7, verses 59 to 60. And then I've got Acts 5, verse 40 to 41. So if somebody would read Acts 7, 59 to 60, and Acts 5, 40 to 41. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Yeah. So here you have Stephen being stoned to death, and he's concerned about those that are doing the stoning being forgiven of what they're doing. I mean, that's amazing to me. Um, so that's bringing honor and glory to God in the face of adversity. You know those men when they walked away, they remembered that. And they were the leaders yeah. of the Sanhedrin. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were the muckety-mucks yeah. of the day. Yeah. And he could yeah. have that feeling toward them. Yeah. Probably gave them restless nights. <laughs> yep. 
And then Acts 5, verse 40 and 41. Somebody read that, please. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Yep, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Different than present things. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and 42 also. Yep, 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Right. So that's basically, they're basically going against what the governance was saying. Right? They were, they were adhering to what God said, not what man said. And they were willing to pay the price of what that was. You know, so this soldier idea. That seems to be so watered down in today's um, in our, churches. In our country, we don't see that, but we know the testimony of our missionaries all around the world. That's exactly how they feel about their testimony of Christ. And they give their lives uh, persecution of all kinds. Yep. And yet, it's so, uh, it's a fire within them. Uh, only because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. 100% commitment. You know? Jesus suffered shame for, for God. Yeah. He said for the, he suffered the shame of the cross for the glory that yeah. was before him. Yep. So he was suffering shame for the glory of God. Yeah. I mean, he is God, but you know what I'm saying. Well, it was in order to get us to be able to, to come to God, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I. It's like Jesus built that bridge to be able for mankind to be able to get to God, yeah. and in the new dispensation of the church age, which is you know um, basically believe and repent, and and you're in at that point as far as being saved. It's all the Old Testament was done away with at that point. You no longer had to do all the different things that were in the law, and that's a big difference. Um, so joy abides in believers. John 15 verse 11 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. I thought it was interesting that your joy might be full. Right? That my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. So his joy is going to stay with you, and it's going to fill your joy up. I just thought of kind of two compartments, right? And, you know, if this compartment is someone else's, it's pouring into mine and filling mine up with what they had put into that first compartment, as it were. And and that's that's exactly what we're talking about here. You know, so um, pretty cool stuff. Any other thoughts on joy before we move to peace? We're plowing ahead here. We're trying to get through these, but we'll see how it goes. Okay, so peace, the word peace appears in 400 verses and 429 times in the King James Bible. Peace is resting in the knowledge and understanding that God is in control and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. This type of peace is only produced by the Holy Spirit. I've got a list of verses here. I think I'll read through these just to kind of move us along here. If you want to write these down, um, you're certainly welcome to do that. So John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you, 
My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, verse 33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans 15, verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 17 says, For he is our peace, who hath made, it, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were not. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything be by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, verses 19 to 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. What do you guys think? Any thoughts on that? That was peace. That's peace. Sounds yep. good. Resting in the knowledge and understanding that God is in control. We, we think of peace as being the opposite of war. <laughs> yes, we do. You know, I mean, you have 390 more to go. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really a little, little more than that. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, or quite a bit more. Yeah, it's being able to stand in the midst of all this and have peace about it, right? right? Not getting, not letting your flesh come up in situations where you in your and you become very emotional about things. So, in order to be able to stand as a soldier, you know, um, I'll share a little story of of my my younger brother. Um, he served in in the Navy. He was a CB. And when he got out, he worked, went and worked for Caterpillar and as, as a mechanic, a heavy machinery mechanic, which is what he was taught to do as a CB. Um, by way of happenstance, he uh, had the opportunity to go and become a law enforcement officer in California. During that process, um, they put you through a lot of different training in order to become a law enforcement officer, right? So he was California Highway Patrol, still is. But he called me one day before he was going into one of his tests, and then he called me after. So before he went in, he told me that this is the, the stress test. And I thought, well, what in the world is a stress test, right? And he said, well, I can't really talk to you right now, but I'll call you when I'm done. So he calls me when he gets done, and he tells me what this test is. And basically, each cadet is brought into a room, and there's five officers in there, and they get 
right to your nose, screaming and yelling at you, calling you everything they can possibly call you to try to get you to react in some way. And it's and they measure your heart while they while they're doing this. Their your oxygen levels. They do all of these things to you. Um, unbeknownst to them, they didn't know that my brother has an athlete's heart, so he can run five miles and his heart's still at ninety, where most people are at one hundred and fifty. Um, but he you know he didn't have any problem with that it, you know as far as the stress test went. But it's the same idea. This peace that we have when we're in these situations. We're able to rest in that and just be calm through it because we know what the truth is. We know who's in charge. We know the outcome. We know where we're supposed to be. We know who's bought us, and that's all there is to it. It's not a question of whether or not we're right or wrong, and that's something that we can rest in and have such great comfort in. Um, I know for myself, it's quite helpful in my life so so long suffering is the next one so the word long suffering appears in 17 verses and 17 times in the King James Bible I don't know if we'll have time to get through this um, it's a little bit longer but I'll see what I can do um, from Webster's Dictionary it's bearing injuries or provocation for a long time being patient and not easily provoked this type of long suffering can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. So, in suffering, if we take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 to 6, let's do that and we'll see where we're at for time and go from there. Second Corinthians six, four to six. Who would like to read that for us? But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships and distresses, in beating, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. In purity, in knowledge, and patience, in kindness, in the hope, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word, truth, in the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And how far? That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, through six. So, um, but I like that you added seven in, in there as well. So, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness. So we have the truth, the power, and the armor on the right hand and on the left. So that's an amazing picture when you think about that. What do you guys think of that? Long suffering. All of those things the Apostle Paul suffered. Yep. Every one of them. Yep. That's listed there. Just... He was, screams, Apostle Paul. He was a he was a lot of scar tissue by the time <laughs> he passed on, for sure. Yep. For sure. Yep. And I've often heard, you know, God is long suffering toward us, but when we think about this, this is also what we're supposed to have towards others, and that's that's difficult. Um, you know, especially when we look around at 
some of the things going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. We just want to fix it, you know. Um, but it's not our place to do these things. God's in control of these things, so mm-hmm. we have to. It's hard to be. It's, we have to follow the chain of command, right? It's not. It's not just the frustration of evil. It's the frustration of the madness. It's the madness. There is no logic to what you see people doing on this wokeness or whatever. Yep. They they're lying right and left, and so the long suffering is harder because it flies in the face of any of the logic you've learned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not just right and wrong, it's madness. Yep. Yeah, the end justifies the means kind of an approach to everything. Just whatever it takes to get what we want, that's There's what we're no gonna way do. To make sense of it. Right. That's that's even harder sometimes to be yeah. maybe not long suffering. It's not harder than that against really persecution. Right. But it's harder than just being able to condemn evil. Yeah. Because there's nothing to condemn. Yep. It makes no sense. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's difficult for sure. But we're, you know, we're called to, to hold the line, if you will, and endure to the end and point everyone to Jesus, no matter what. And that, it's a simple task. It's not easily accomplished, you know, and that's what we have to remember. But we have the Word of God to keep us grounded in that foundation and give us the understanding of what we're called to do. And we're all called to do this, no matter who we are and where we're at in our walk. Um, This is what we need to be doing. And we can only do it by having the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. It's the only way we get there. If our own flesh is trying to do these things and accomplish these things, it's never going to happen. You're never going to do it on your own. Um, it's, It's an amazing thing. And that's that surrender. And then that's that freedom we spoke about a little bit earlier. Right, because you can have peace in the middle of all of this. You just rest in God, spend time with God. It's it's a really really important thing. So, I think we'll stop there. I know we're a little over. I could go an easy another hour here, but I know we all want to go home and so on and so forth. So, we'll we'll stop here at long suffering and. Um, Maybe next year we'll uh, finish through the end of this. Um, we got a little further this time on, on pastor's uh, vacation, so um, we'll get done there. Um, Duke, will you close us out in prayer, please? Father, thank you for the day, for the word that you've given to us this day through Brent and through Lumber. Lord, we pray that we can take these words that we've heard put them into our heart and put them to good use to bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.